Jesus is speaking here. And he says in verse 11, he says, and when they bring you into the synagogues and the magistrates and powers, take no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Uh, and, of course, that goes along with what we talked about uh, on Sunday mornings for a while about the Lord working with us. Uh, anytime I'm talking to somebody, especially in, in the area of ministry, uh, but really you can, it, it doesn't, it's not limited just to ministry, but, uh, but especially in dealing with uh, ministry and talking to people, encourage them to come to church. Um, I always lean upon verses like this, that, you know, Lord, when I'm talking to this person, they need to hear the exact right thing. They don't need to hear just, you know, my canned sermon, my canned, you know, uh, questions and answers. They need to he hear the exact right thing. And so I believe that this verse to be true because uh, he said the Holy Ghost will teach you in that same hour what you ought to say. So you should always have confidence when you're talking to somebody that the Spirit of God will will give you the right words to say to that person to encourage them to to um, to, to get closer to the Lord or, you know, whatever it is that you're dealing with them. Amen. Uh, and so have faith and trust that the Spirit of God that we're in this together. Amen. That whatever we're doing, whatever we're saying, that uh, the Spirit of God is there with us and he's going to assist us in, in, um, in what we're doing. Uh, because people need help. Amen. People need uh, a lot of assistance and um, I believe we can help them. Amen. And so those cards are on the back table there. Uh, help yourself to those. And uh, let's stand and, and greet each other for just a minute. We'll get in praise and worship. There's no other human being, no other God, Father, worthy to be worshipped other than you. You alone, Father. And Father, we declare that you are our God and that you are merciful to us, your people. You are kind towards us, Father. You lift us up and you fill us, Father all the goodness of God. And Father, we thank you. We are full of joy and full of power, full of wisdom, Father, full of righteousness, full of peace. And Father, we are full of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you that you are worthy our praise and adoration, Father. You're worthy, Father, for us to do whatever you ask us to do. To lay down or pick up, Father, to go or to stay, to give or receive, Father. Father, you're worthy for us to do all of those things. And Father, with gladness of heart and determination of mind, we choose to follow your will and choose to follow your word choose to follow your spirit. So, Father, we thank you. And Father, we give you all praise and honor, might and dominion, Father. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? We appreciate his goodness and kindness. Amen. You know, we, we need to get it settled in our hearts that God is a good God. Amen. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people have a lot of different philosophies about the Lord. And, you know, I call them philosophies because they're not biblical principles. They're just, well, this is what I think. So that's really a philosophy because it's just your philosophical meanderings of, of uh, your own thought life. Amen. Not based upon the word of God. You know, um, one of the things that, that the people in the church oftentimes struggle with, of course, the, the world struggles with this entirely, but the, even in the church, 
You know, sometimes people in church don't have absolutes. Uh, you know, I have an absolute that if the word of God is clear about something, then that's the end of the discussion. You know, there's no wiggle room. There's no, well, the Lord understands, you know, there's no. Uh, and that doesn't mean I live perfect in that. But but when I read the word of God, to me, that's an absolute. There, there's no wiggle room. Uh, and in today's society, even in the church, you know, you get into certain sins, you know. And of course, you know, the, the one they bring up a lot is homosexuality. You know that, well, there's some wiggle room there. Well, as long as you love each other. Right. <laughs> well, you know, the problem is that's not the love of God, right? That is love. You know, there is a love that's not God-given, right? You know, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. You know, you should love uh, things, right? And, you know, uh, but when, when the Bible talks about love, it's primarily talking about the love of God. And the love of God would never want you to be in sin. Uh, and so if, if the Word of God is clear, for example, you know, the, the sin of homosexuality, well, then it's the end of the discussion. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what you feel, then that's that's a sin. And so, you know, because if you're in an environment long enough, you will feel things. Right. I mean, uh, whether they're good or bad, you know, uh, and uh, and so we're not denying that those things aren't real. But, you know, what you'll find is if you'll if if you'll remove them out of your life, not suppress them, because people say, you know, well, as long as you're not a practicing homosexual, it's OK. Well, you know, there are plenty, there are stories after stories after stories who people who lived in that lifestyle and have walked away from it and are no longer that lifestyle. There's story after story of story of people who were alcoholics who lived that lifestyle and now are no longer alcoholics. And, and they're not, you know, the AA group will say that you always should declare you're an alcoholic even long after you're out of that lifestyle. Well, the Word of God says, no, I'm a child of God. That's what you declare. You, you used to be an alcoholic. You used to be a drug addict or whatever it is. Uh, you know, you used to be, and, and I remember reading a story with, with a lady who was uh, in uh, the, the homosexual lifestyle. She was a lesbian and, and just living that lifestyle. And then the Lord started dealing with her and, and it wasn't anything in particular, but she, she realized this is not of God and walked away from it and ended up marrying, you know, a, a minister of the gospel. And um, they had gone to, the story was uh, talking about some of the things she experienced about that. They'd gone to a church uh, the church was looking for a new minister, and so they were interviewing for that position. So they took the husband, who was the minister, back in the back room to, you know, uh, I don't know if they were going to, like, water torture him or what, to find out, you know, what he really knew. Uh, but so she was there with the, the wives of all the other, uh, the committee that was hiring the pastor. And then, you know, where are you from, where are you from? You know, kind of chit-chat, you know, oh, I used to be a lesbian, you know, and they're like, <laughs> I mean, all the air was sucked out of the room. And don't ever say that. Well, why not? I mean, it'd be glad to say what you, what you, not are, what you are not anymore, right? Uh, why is that a problem, right? Uh, unless you were like an axe murderer or something, you know, maybe you don't want to share that, you know, uh, in certain in, in circles, right? But, uh, but they were so offended that said, don't ever say that, you know, and they didn't get the job at that particular church, you know. Uh, well, I think that's a great testimony, what you used to be, right? Uh, it, it's perfectly fine, you know. Now, you don't want to elevate it that, and, you know, you don't want to uh, give it glory of what you used to be, but it was just kind of a casual conversation, you know, which, you know, well, I, you know, I used to be a school teacher. Oh, well, I used to be a lesbian, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, one's a little bit more intense than the other, right? But, uh, um, and so, but from when I read the Word of God, there's absolutes, right? Why is that a problem? In the church, it seems to be a problem. Uh, you know, there's all this thing about drinking, you know, and I mean, I think the word of God is pretty clear. You go to Romans chapter 14 in our society, that would be a sin. And, and I mean, I, it's amazing how, how scholarly people who don't know anything become. Well, I've studied the Bible. Really? 
So you're telling me that, that Billy Graham and Brother Hagen and Lester Summerall and T.L. Osborne and people of great spiritual value to the earth are all wrong and you've found something that none of them know. That's amazing, you know. See, I'm not that prideful because to me, if, if, if somebody like Brother Hagen says something, then it's not gospel because he says it, but it has weight because he says it. And then I'll go confirm, is this what the Word of God says, right? But I don't dismiss it. Well, he's, he's old. I mean, you ever hear people, oh, they're old, you know. Uh, you know, we've got a few folks here that has been around the block a few times, right? That, well, you're old. You know, that also means you probably know something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, by accident, you're going to find some things out if you breathe air long enough, right? I like being around people that have been around long enough to know some things, Amen. And I've always, from the time I got born again, I've always, I've always leaned towards and gravitated to those that were older than me because they know more than I know. Uh, if I hang around people that just are my age, and of course, you know, I am a little older now, but I'm not that old, right? Uh, David said, I was young and now I'm old, but I don't say that. You know, I was young and now I'm just older, right? Uh, and so, uh, but if all you do is hang around people of your age, what are you going to learn? You already know everything you know. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, I think it's verse 20, says that, uh, that uh, uh, if you want to be wise, walk with the wise. Amen. And that's one of my favorite verses. Is that the right verse, Jared? Is that uh, Proverbs 13, 20? He's going to find out here in just a second. Uh, uh, and, well, you know, wisdom doesn't come about just, I know there's different kinds of wisdom, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, some of the wisdom doesn't come about except for, for learning how to walk with the Lord. Amen. Uh, and so uh, is that the right verse? He that walketh with the wise men shall be wise. Right. Uh, and so um, now I'm not mad at anybody. You want to have a different opinion? Than I do fine. You know, I, I mean, it's uh, some things are, are somewhat of an opinion. But but if the word of God is, is clear on it and the general counsel of those that have gone before us or, or that way, you know, I would lean towards that. You know, to reject that, you know, be, just because they're old is foolishness, right? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's the second half of that verse, right? A companion of fools shall be destroyed, right? If all you do is hang, well, you know, and, and I hear people uh, rail on ministers all the time, and, and I'm thinking, you know, that is foolish. Uh, I, I remember we got in a habit when, when I was with my, my pastor years ago. We'd have a guest minister come in, and they'd speak and do something, and then, and they would leave, and then like the next service, the the pastor would kind of well, what'd you all think about that fellow? And, and the, the kind of the point of the discussion was not just hey, we really like the message. It was always to to find fault. Well, I didn't like that verse they used there. Well, they you know they misquoted that verse over there. Well, you know they didn't, that wasn't really the Greek word over there. You know, well you know they used this too. And I'm and I'm thinking, what have you all given up? You all sitting in your comfortable chairs, going to your nine to five job every day. Nothing wrong with that, right? They gave up careers. And homes and and uh, a lot of things to go on the road every day and travel around the world, uh, travel around the country, or sometimes around the world. Uh, and you've not had to give up anything to, to to enjoy your comfortable lifestyle. Uh, and you're not giving any weight or any any consideration for this person. Amen. See, uh, it's really easy for the church to become critical about things. Uh, but uh, I would encourage you always be careful about dismissing people because of their age or they're not relevant. You know, we need to be relevant because that dismisses the Lord Jesus. Amen. I mean, his message has been around for 2000 years. Is it still relevant today? 
people, people in the church sometimes say, well, I don't want to be motivated by a first century book. It's not relevant today. Talking about the Bible, right? It was all written in the first century. The New Testament was. Uh, that, that's really foolishness, right? But there are people in the church who are kind of, you know, that's not really relevant. We need to find relevant things. Well, they're, they're not Christian churches. They're just the Moose Lodge, right? It's just a different name. They may have a Christian name on it, but they're just the JCs, the Rotary Club. They're not, they're not uh, Bible uh, churches, right? The, and, I, you know, I don't know any of them. I don't, you know, I'm not pointing any particular fing- fingers at those. But uh, that's the seeker-friendly, you know, churches that are around today. They just, they don't want to give any absolutes. You know, you find your own path, and everybody's path is different. And, and um, I mean, Jesus said narrow is the way, right? If narrow is the way, then there's not really that many paths. There's not room for a lot of different paths, right? If you ever been on a narrow path? Not a lot of room, wiggle room on that path, right? It's the path, right? Now, if you go to, you know, I mean, if the, if the way is as wide as that road is right there, well, you've got a lot of room, right? You can go this way and that way. You can meander a long ways, right? But if you're on a tiny little cow path, you ever seen a cow path? You know, my dog, he's made a cow path, right? From the front of the house to the back of the house. You go outside and there's a little dog cow path. You know, it's just, it's only this wide, right? Because he goes to the exact same path every time. Uh, and so... Uh, so I, I would just uh, I, I would caution you: be careful about dismissing uh, people that uh, because of their age or you know. Um, well, I like being around the younger crowd. You know, um, I like being around the wise crowd. Amen. Uh, not the not the wise Alec crowd, but the wise crowd. There, right? So, uh, and I know that I know I'm slightly different than that. And nothing wrong with fellowshipping people your age. Clearly, you know, nothing wrong with that. But if I'm in a position, I want to I want to learn something. You know, some people enjoy being the smartest person in a room. I enjoy being the dumbest person in the room because that means I can learn something, right? If I'm the dumbest person in the room, uh, then, then, then surely I'll learn something, right? Uh, so just be cautious about that, amen? And, and so we w- I wanted to, to uh, shift gears to start a new uh, message today about uh, how do you find the will of God? How do you find and know the will of God as a Christian, right? So how, how do you go about finding that? And it's, you know, as a, as a pastor, as, as a Christian, uh, you know, most of the people I hang out with in the Christian church are charismatic Pentecostal types, right? I mean, on occasion, I'll meet a, a denominational person, but, you know, they're not really big fans of Pentecostal people sometimes. And so, you know, we kind of make them nervous, right? Because we might just start speaking in tongues in the middle of lunch or something. And so, you know, uh, I don't get to see a lot of them. But uh, for me personally, I can hang out with anybody. Any, if you believe in Lord Jesus, you know, I, I can hang out with you, fellowship with you all day long, no problem, right? And even people that are not in the church, I can fellowship with them and, and uh, be friends with them. Uh, you know, there's a certain limit to, to that extent there. But, uh, but it, it is interesting how often I hear people say different philosophies about how do you find the will of God. And so I think the best thing to do would be, well, let's find out what the word of God says. Amen. Uh, that'd be a good approach, wouldn't it? Let's find out how the will of God says we should find, how, how the, what the word of God says, how we should find the will of God for our individual lives, Right. Because the Word of God is, is awesome and amazing, but it doesn't cover every situation in your life, right? It doesn't cover, should you take a, a left at that red light or go straight? It doesn't cover, should you take the job A or job B? It doesn't tell you, should you, should you marry person A or person B? Hopefully you're not, you know, having a, uh, you know, in that situation where you're trying to decide, well, you know, I would like to marry this person. Maybe I can marry that, maybe marry that person. I don't know, you know. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be having two people, you know, along the way at the same time right but that's another discussion so uh, but how do we find the will of God how do we know what the will of God is for our lives you know how do we know what we should be doing amen uh, and so 
Now, the Word of God actually has quite a bit to say about that. So let's, turn, let's go all the way back to uh, the book of Judges. Uh, we'll look at our friend Gideon because this is oftentimes, even in the charismatic Pentecostal church, I often hear that this is the method that people use to um, find the will of God for their life. Amen. Uh, and of course, uh, we're in the book of Judges. So where is that in the Bible? Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament, right? So if it's an Old Testament, doesn't mean we throw it all away, right? But if it's an Old Testament, I always am cautious, right? I'm always cautious building a doctrine only on the Old Testament scripture because we live in the New Testament. Amen. There's plenty of good things in the Old Testament that's still valid today, right? All the blessings of Abraham. The Bible says that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, but the Bible never says we've been redeemed from the blessings of the law. So if there's blessings of the law, still belong to me, right? So if I see that uh, everything you shall lay your hands to shall prosper, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 28, then that still belongs to me because we've never been redeemed from the blessings of the law. So that means they still belong to us, right? They're part of the covenant of Abraham. Are we children of Abraham? then that's part of the covenant that belongs to us. So for sure, if it's a curse of the law, no longer applies to us. We, we just kind of shelve it. It's there for information, uh, but um, it's not applicable to us today. Uh, and so let's look at our friend Gideon. So Gideon, uh, you know, we're in the book of Judges, right? And so now, of course, uh, as Israel was wont to do, as soon as, as soon as some great man of God or woman of God dies, then they go back to the flesh, right? And the whole book of Judges is rinse and repeat. Uh, they get they get uh, attacked and, and get invaded by some uh, other country uh, and they're in slavery for typically either 20 years or 40 years. And they cry out to the Lord. He'll rise up a judge. They'll attack the enemy, get them out of Israel and, and uh, they'll follow God. until that person uh, stops breathing air and that person dies. They all backslide again, follow after idols and a nation invades them. God raises up a judge, gets rid of the invaders. Uh, they follow God until the judge is dead, and then they go back to following the flesh. Uh, rinse and repeat over and over and over again. Uh, and, and um, you know, that should warn us there that left to our own devices, we will follow the flesh. Uh, if you are not following after God, you will follow the flesh. Uh, no, nobody is spiritual enough that without support from the Lord that they'll just do everything all perfectly fine all the days of their life. Uh, and that's, you know, that's why you should, one reason you should go to church, because it's helpful to be around other people. Amen to encourage you to follow on with the Lord. Uh, and people, I can follow the Lord fine without, uh, without going to church. Well, that's fine, except the head of the church said you should go to church. Amen. So you really can't follow the Lord if you're not following what he's asked you to do. Amen. Uh, didn't he say, if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments, right? And so and he's, not ta- he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's just saying, uh, you'll do what I ask you to do. Amen. Uh, and so... Uh, so this, so that's where we're at, and, and uh, Gideon is one of the judges here, uh, and um, uh, in fact, let's just start, well, uh, I don't want to start at the very beginning, because we'll just end up reading all of that chapter there, but let's, let's go on down to, um, uh, we're in Judges chapter 6, and um, yeah, let's start in verse, well, actually, I wanted to back up, look at my notes here, my Bible there, all right, so let's, let's start in verse 11. It says, And there came an angel of the Lord, sat under the oak, which was an uh, Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the uh, Abiazite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So at this point in time, they had been invaded by the Midianites, and they're under the, basically the slavery of this other country. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, 
the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if, uh, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our, father told, which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us. Is that a true statement? Not a true statement. Because the Lord hadn't forsaken him. Who forsook who? The nation, in fact, it says right there, verse 1 of that same chapter, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of, the, of, the, of Midian seven years. So who did evil first? The nation of Israel, right? And yet this, this exact scenario happens every day in the church, right? Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why, why did you forsake me? Did the Lord forsake them? No, what happened? Well, they forsook the Lord, right? And it says he, he delivered them, which just means he just took his hand off of them and let the, the nation of the Midianites come in and, and uh, take over. But people always love to throw the, the, uh, the issue on the Lord. Lord, it's your fault. You know, why did you do this to me? Uh, and yet, is that true? That's not true, right? Uh, and yet, uh, <clears throat> he says in verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said, uh, he said unto him, O oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Now, again, uh, one of the hardest things we do is to learn how to listen. Because what did the angel of the Lord say to Gideon when he appeared to him? Uh, he said in verse 12, right? The Lord is with thee, thou what? Mighty man of valor. Right? That's what the statement of faith was. What, what was Gideon's faith? I am nobody. I am the least in my father's house. You know, if the Lord says you're something, then, you're, then the correct response by faith is, yes, sir. If that's, what I, if that's what you say that I am, then that's what I am. Are you a child of God? Did the Lord say you're a child of God? Then that's what the Lord has said, that, said about you. I'm worthless, no count. That is not what the Lord said about you, right? The Lord said a king came and died for you. Amen? So people like Gideon are always arguing and, and trying to tell the Lord that he's wrong. You're wrong, Lord. I'm nobody. The Lord said you're a mighty man of valor. Uh, now, you may think you're nobody, but by faith, you say, yes, sir, then, then, then if you said that I'm a mighty man of valor, then I can do that, right? Uh, anything the Lord calls you to do, you're able to do it. Amen? Uh, and so, so he said, um, and the Lord said unto him in verse 16, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that, uh, that thou talkest with me. Uh, and so uh, then he went through some uh, different things there. So that's the, the first time where Gideon uh, was trying to make the Lord uh, do. And of course, that's not the famous one. The famous one is, is on down in, in the chapter. Let's go down to verse 36 here. Um, uh, and he said, uh, in verse 36, And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. So did the Lord speak to Gideon supernaturally? Did the Lord tell him, I'm going to deliver Israel by your hand supernaturally? He did. And, and so... Uh, but if it's supernatural, it means it's not of this natural world. It's not in this natural realm. 
That means that you can't see it and observe it and measure it and count it. Uh, and so, uh, so, you know, sometimes living in the supernatural is not good enough for us. Right? Sometimes, uh, Lord, you need to stoop down into the natural realm where I live to confirm that. Now, was the Lord upset at Gideon? The Lord wasn't upset at Gideon. Uh, why? Well, because Gideon's just learning, right? He just, you know, he just showed up in this same chapter. You know, as you go on in Gideon's life, he did get a little bit better about some things. Uh, but uh, here he, he's kind of, you know, kind of young with the Lord. Doesn't know, you know, the Lord spoke to him. Like, well, now other people like Abraham, first time it, the Lord said something to Abraham. Yes, sir. And you can always see people of great faith. It's easier for them to obey God, right? People that are, that are, and it's not just being immature, but it's, it's really not, it's a lack of faith, right? Uh, that the Lord speak to you or not, amen? Uh, and so, so Gideon, you know, needs some help here. So he does this fleece, and you ever heard people put, oh, I put out a fleece, right? Well, this is where they get it from. They put it out, they, they did it from Gideon. But he, the difference is, we'll look at the difference here in just a second. So, so what did he say? Uh, so he, the first time he says, I'm going to put this fleece, right, with, which is, you know, a lamb's wool of some kind, right? Uh, 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 and I'm going to put it uh, wherever they put it on the ground here. And when I get here in the morning, it's going to be wet and the whole ground around is going to be dry. Now, is that, is that a supernatural event? I mean, would it take a supernatural event for that to occur? Sure, because otherwise all, it'd all be all wet or all dry, right? So it is a supernatural thing that he's asked the Lord to do. But he's wanted to be able to observe it in the natural realm. If I could just see a miracle, I'd believe. That's what he's saying, right? If I could just see a miracle with my own eyes, right? If I can measure in the natural realm, then I would believe. Uh, was, was the Lord okay with that? Well, I mean, he did it, right? Uh, it's not best, but uh, it, because it requires the least amount of faith. How much faith do you need to see something? Nothing, right? Who does that sound like? I need to see it before I believe it. Our friend Thomas, right? You know, his first name's not Doubting Thomas, but that's what we call him, right? And when we get to heaven, you know, my first name's not Doubting. But, but uh, he's Doubting Thomas, right? Well, unless I see the, the, uh, the, the nail scars in his hands and thrust my hand in his side, I won't believe. And what did the Lord say to him? T touch, you know, t put your hands in, in my, uh, see the scars and thrust your hand in my side, right? Which would kind of be a little awkward, I think. But uh, he told him to do it, do it, right? And Thomas said, I believe. And what did the Lord say to him after that? Blessed are those who believe without seeing, right? Uh, and so the Lord wasn't mad at Thomas, but he was saying, you know, you're not where you could be. You could be at a place where you don't have to see, right? And, and so, uh, but where we're at right now is Gideon had to see. The Lord spoke to him supernaturally. He heard the Lord. He didn't misunderstand the Lord. He clearly repeated what the Lord said there in, in the words of the book of Judges here. Uh, didn't get that wrong at all. But he said, you know, I need to see. I need to see something. And so what did he see? He wanted to see a supernatural. He wanted to see a miracle, right? So not just a natural thing. He wanted to see a miracle, uh, which was, uh, in this case, that, um, that the, the fleece would be wet and the ground would be dry. And so, um, and then he said, if you do that, then, then, then it'll be like you said. And it was so in verse 38. For he rose up early in the morning and thrust uh, the fleece together uh, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. So the, the fleece was wet. So did the Lord do what he said? Was it a supernatural event? It was a supernatural event, right? It was that good enough for Gideon? You know, it wasn't good enough for Gideon. And Gideon said unto, unto God in verse 39, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak uh, but this once. 
Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry upon the fleece and upon all the ground. Let there be dew. And God did so that night for it was dry upon the fleece only. And there was dew on all the ground. So, I mean, you know, the Lord is long suffering, right? The whole purpose of of the fruit of the spirit of long suffering is to put up with people like Gideon, right? Uh, Because it's just like wearying. So I told you supernaturally what to do. I know, Lord, I need a sign. Okay, here's a sign. Okay, Lord, I need another sign. Right. And I was like, you know, that's long suffering. Right. He he, because Gideon knew he was kind of pushing the limit. Let not thine anger be hot against me. Right. He knew he was pushing. He was pushing the boundaries there. But the Lord was gracious to him, wasn't he? Uh, He was kind to him and, and, and let him do that. Amen. Now, here's the problem with this. First of all, Old Testament. Right. Second, the Lord did speak to him supernaturally. So he knew what to do prior to the fleece. Right. Uh, he was wanting the fleece to confirm what he already knew. Most people, when they put out a fleece, don't know what they're doing, and the fleece tells them. But that's not, first of all, it's not the rules of the fleece, right? Rules of the fleece, you've got to know supernaturally what to do first, then you put the fleece out. Now, we're getting rid of the fleece. We're going to bury the fleece, right? We're not, we're not saying it's okay to do a fleece. In fact, it's wrong to do a fleece in the New Testament. We live in the New Testament, right? But uh, most people who do the fleece get it wrong anyway, right? They, they just, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to put a fleece out, and that'll tell me what to do. That's not the way it worked with Gideon. He knew exactly what to do. The fleece was a confirmation. And, then, and it wasn't just a confirmation. It was a double confirmation. And then the second part of it that's important is the, the whole thing with the fleece was a supernatural event. It wasn't just, well, Lord, if all the lights turn red uh, all at the same time, then, then that's the fleece. Is that supernatural? Could be just guy at the, at the city going, hey, watch this. You know, and just flipping all the lights red. I mean, you know, it could be anything, right? Not supernatural at all. Well, Lord, if, if I'm first in line to drive through, then that's a sign. Is that supernatural? No, because everybody else might have heard that, hey, you know, somebody found a rat in the food. You know, nobody's going to the drive through. I mean, who knows what it is, right? I'm not saying that that's what's happening. I'm just saying that there's no, there's no supernatural event that occurs for you being first in line at the drive through, right? Uh, and so this was clearly a supernatural event, the, the, the fleece. Amen. Uh, I've never actually heard of somebody putting out a fleece and it was ended up being a supernatural occurrence, right? It was a coincidence of some kind, typically, uh, something that was maybe, a, you know, a chance event, but not something that was clearly supernatural like this. Amen. So, first of all, most people get the fleece wrong anyway. Amen. Uh, it was a supernatural word from the Lord first. Gideon knew what to do. The, the fleece was there to confirm what he already knew and wasn't new information. And that's not the way most people do fleeces today anyway. Amen. But where are we? Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. So we're going to get rid of that, right? Uh, and so uh, let's, uh, let's turn over to Acts chapter 1. Now, in Acts chapter 1, what is the, st- what is the spiritual status of the disciples here? It's a little bit of a loaded question, right? Do we know? Are they born again or not born again yet? Uh, they're born again, right? 50-50 chance, right? 50-50. Uh, they're born again because John chapter 20, Jesus said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, right? He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And that's when they were actually were born again, right? Uh, so at this point, so that was in, in the book of John. Now we're in the book of Acts. And now they're gathered together waiting. So this is between the, the resurrection and the day of Pentecost, right? So we're, we're in, in that time period the day of Pentecost happens in chapter 2, uh, and so that's when they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speak with other tongues. 
Uh, and then here uh, we've got um, uh, the situation where they're, they're waiting for that event to occur. So they are born again. They are Christians, but they're not baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, and of course, we know that the background of this situation is uh, in chapter one. They gathered together and Jesus told them some things and then he left. And then they're kind of waiting for the day of Pentecost because he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you do the power from on high. He told them that at the end of the book of Luke. Uh, and then uh, that's what they're waiting on right now. So they're all born again. They're all saved. Their spirits are made brand new, right? They're on the way to heaven uh, as far as their spiritual destiny goes. Uh, but how many apostles are, are in the upper room right now? Do we know? How many apostles were there uh, before this situation? <laughs> There's 12, right? So how many are we down to now? We're down to 11, right? Because we lost one along the way, right? We lost Judas, right? Uh, and so now, the, so they're, they're, they had 12 apostles, and, and these, and we're not going to go into all of the discussion of apostles, but uh, there are four classes of apostles, right? We know that. Uh, so the first class of the apostle uh, is the Lord Jesus. He's the highest apostle, right? He's the apostle and high priest of our confession, right? Uh, and so Jesus is the, the highest apostle. And then you've got the 12 apostles of the Lamb, so we know we're 11, so we know we're going to get one more here. But 12 apostles of the Lamb, and Peter gives the qualifications of those. Uh, let's, let's look down at um, uh, verse uh, 20 here of Acts chapter 1. It says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So he's quoting a, a verse uh, from Psalm 69 related to Judas and let, let someone else take his place. So now they're going to replace Judas. Uh, so uh, now he says the qualifications of them, he gives them here. Wherefore of these men, which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John uh, until that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. So that's the qualifications of the apostle of the Lamb is they had to be with Jesus the whole time of his ministry from the time of John the Baptist in the River Jordan till his resurrection. So basically the three and a half years of his ministry, they're going to pick one person that was with them all that time. So was Paul qualified to be this person? No, when did Paul become a Christian? Or when did Paul start following Jesus? Do anybody know what chapter in the book of Acts it was? It's chapter 9, right? Acts chapter 9. So are we in Acts chapter 9 yet? We're not in Acts chapter 9 yet. So Paul wasn't even around. Paul didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't like Jesus. In fact, he was throwing all the Christians in jail. Uh, he, he despised Jesus and, and all the followers of Jesus. So he was not qualified to be an apostle of the Lamb. Uh, Peter gives the qualifications here. Uh, and so, because some people say, well, Paul really was the, the 12th apostle, but there's actually 25 named and unnamed apostles in the New Testament anyway. So way more than just the 12 apostles. Uh, and again, we're not trying to get, go into all that discussion of apostles, but the second class of apostles, the apostles of the Lamb. There's 12, only going to be 12, never going to be more than 12. Uh, in fact, their names are in the foundation of heaven, right? Uh, and so there's not any room, more room than the 12, right? Uh, and so then after that, uh, then you get the, uh, we call them foundation apostles, those who wrote the word of God, primarily Paul, but you got Jude and you got James and you got some other apostles that wrote uh, the, the New Testament, right? Uh, and is there any more New Testament going to be written? And we're going to write any more Bible. There's going to be a, a Bible, uh, a Old Testament, a New Testament, and a new New Testament. 
not going to be anything like that, right? So uh, that class has ended, right? There's no more apostles, foundation apostles that are writing scripture. And then you got the fourth class, the apostles, which is what we have today in the church. Uh, and uh, men and women will stand in that, that position as the Lord uh, calls them, right? Uh, Dr. Ed Dufresne was an apostle of the Lamb. Uh, and so, uh, and then uh, Smith Wigglesworth was an apostle. Uh, he was uh, called the apostle of faith. And uh, so we've seen apostles, you know, in our lifetime. And uh, they have sp uh, specific positions. And, and again, we're not here. Uh, that's another whole discussion there. But those are the four classes of the apostles. We're here at the second class. And they're going to uh, they're going to replace Judas. So uh, let's find out how they did that here in verse 23. It says, uh, and they appointed two: Joseph called uh, Barsabas, uh, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, uh, thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two uh, thou hast chosen that they may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So now they have, they're back to twelve, right? So Matthias was the twelfth apostle. And we don't ever know what Matthias did after this, uh, but he, his name, I can guarantee you, his name is, is in the foundation of heaven, right? He's one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Uh, and so, but how do they determine who to pick? They, they pick lots, right? Uh, what you'll find, this is the last time this was ever done in the Bible. Right, right here, Acts chapter 1, last time this was ever done going forward, right? What happened in Acts chapter 2? They got the Holy Spirit. They got baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? With the evidence of speaking with the tongue. So they got the second work of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And were they ever led by the Spirit after Acts chapter 1? Did the Spirit God ever direct them in anything, show them His will? Sure He did, plenty of times, right? We'll look at some examples here. Uh, but did they ever have to discern the will of God by lot? And a lot was just basically... Uh, you know, they get a piece of paper or, or stone or something, write their names on it, put in a hat or a bag of some kind, and, and they draw the name out just like we do today, right? You draw the name out, and if your name's the one, then that's it, right? Now, is that especially supernatural? I mean, it's not all that supernatural. The, the assumption is, the hope is, that God will direct who's ever at hand or the marbles or the rocks or the papers that the right one is selected, right? But that's not very supernatural. I mean, you know, you could accidentally do it and, and pick out somebody's name, right? Uh, and so Gideon's was actually a really supernatural event that occurred, right? But, you know, the nation of Israel, they had to, had to come up with some way because uh, they couldn't have it, you know, they couldn't lean upon the Lord supernaturally, obviously, so they had to come up with some natural method to, uh, to discern the will of God in situations where, uh, they didn't know, right? So, so there's lots of examples in the Old Testament where they uh, took lots of things and, uh, and this is what they would do. So basically it was just pull the name out of the hat and they assumed and hoped that that was the will of God that that would, that would be done. Uh, and so, but the problem with it is not supernatural at all. How much faith is required to do that? Zero. Uh, and, and so, uh, of course, people think, well, my faith is in God, but okay, so maybe you've got, you know, a tiniest, even smaller than a grain of mustard seed faith, you know, that God's going to uh, direct your hand to do that. But basically, it's not really, it's just mostly just circumstance, right? It's whatever you can observe in the natural realm. And that's the method that people were using to determine the will of God. Now, you, you fast forward uh, to today, and <clears throat> when you listen to people talk about how they determine the will of God. Well, if I get the job, 
then it was God's will for me to get the job. If I don't get the job, then it must have not, must have not been God's will for me to get the job. Uh, is that supernatural at all? Is there any supernatural aspect of that? Now, they can say, well, you know, God directed that person to hire that person. But you don't know if that hiring manager was a child of God or a heathen, right? They could have been a, a child of the devil. Is God going to direct a child of the devil what to do? He's not going to direct it, you know. So, so you could say that, but there's no really supernatural aspect of that. It's just happenstance, right? It's just chance that, that they pick that person over you. And it may not even be chance. They may just like, you know, if, if you're... Uh, name is a certain name or, you know, your color is a certain color. There's all kinds of things that, you know, people with their own biases could select that has got nothing to do with nothing, right? Uh, it may not be d- due to your qualifications at all. You may be the most qualified still not get the job. You might be the least qualified and, and get the job, right? Uh, so here we are, Acts chapter 1. Bef- they're born again, but not filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, a lot of times, and, and I have been victim of this, not victim of this, I've been guilty of this, Uh, of saying that, well, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, God can never use you. Uh, And and be kind of almost snobby about the fact that I'm filled with the Spirit and speak with other tongues, right? Uh, But, you know, when the Bible talks about you have an unction, uh, it doesn't say you have an unction only if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? If you're born again, you have an unction. You can be led by the Spirit of God as a Christian, even if you're not a Pentecostal Christian, so to speak, right? And we know there's really no such thing biblically as Pentecostal Christians, the intent of the Lord was, was for how many people to be Pentecostal Christians? All of us, right? He never intended to be a group of crazy people over here and a group of sane people over here, right? He meant for the whole church to be crazy and, and uh, so to speak, and be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and so, so we've got we, to be careful about, um, uh, about kind of being prideful about our position, but being led by the Spirit of God in the area of knowing His will seems to be one of the areas that, that uh, changed as a result of being filled with the Spirit and speaking with other tongues. Prior to that, the Christians were dependent upon uh, natural chance, right? Natural circumstances to determine the will of God because that's, what they, how, that's how they determined uh, the, the, uh, the people here, the Matthias, to be the... the um, um, the next apostle. So let's turn over to Acts chapter 6 and just see how, how things changed a little bit here. Uh, so in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, so now we are filled with the Spirit, right? Now we're speaking with other tongues. And it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. You know, it's been 2,000 years. People are still murmuring in the church, right? I can't believe that. Uh, there arose a murmuring because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So, you know, they, by this time, there's tens of thousands of people in a church in Jerusalem, right? Uh, and some things are slipping through the cracks and some things aren't getting done. Maybe that should be done or could be done. And so people are murmuring about it. Uh, how many times did murmuring ever work out well for them in the Old Testament? They'd murmur and the earth would swallow up and eat them, a few of them, right? You know, so has it ever been to your advantage to murmur? I don't know why we can't learn it. You know, you could just say, hey, guys, um, the widows are being neglected. Um, you know, can we make some adjustments or make some improvements to cover this situation, right? You know, you could just ask, right? Instead of murmuring, I, you know, they keep it so cold in a church. Well, have you ever asked to turn it up? Well, no. Well, you know, you could just say, hey, it's kind of cold in a church. You know, can we do something about it? Uh, and so and when we're going to Pentecostal, we're going to, to Pentecostal, we're going to Pensacola tomorrow. Uh, Brother Randy likes it about, you know, 
31, 32 degrees in the, in the services every day, you know? Uh, and so, you know, I'm not going to murmur about how cold it's what he likes, right? And so if I don't like it, I could go ask him to turn it up, you know? Uh, and then I'd be the guy who said, oh, you don't want uh, Brother Randy to be comfortable, right? So I'm not going to be that guy. So, so uh, things were going on, right? Uh, in the 12, verse 2, the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason or, or reasonable or doesn't make any sense that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. You know, the pastor ought to just, you know, he ought to, you know, he shouldn't be too good to, to wait on tables. Uh, well, you know, maybe we should read what the Bible says, right? Uh, not and uh, you know it's funny one time I'll tell you this look I don't care you know I've set up tables broke tables down clean tables I mean I don't care you know whatever it takes right to get it done uh, and um, so this was years ago I was cleaning one of the tables after one of the church meals right cleaning the table you know and someone else was sitting there and they were sitting on the table right not the table I was cleaning but another table uh, and they said as I'm cleaning the table I said yeah you know that Acts chapter six. You know, we, we shouldn't have the pastor doing everything in the church. As I'm cleaning the table, and they're watching me clean the tables, right? And, and I thought, well, you know, that's great that you know the verse. Maybe, you know, uh, you should do the verse. And look, I'm not looking for anybody to do my work or anything at all, but um, uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was a funny situation there. Maybe it wasn't as funny for you. You had to be there, I guess. But, um, and so, uh, so they said, it's not reasonable that we do that. He said, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry uh, of the word of God. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and they, and they go on to the seven there. Uh, and it says uh, in verse six, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid their hands on them. The word of God increased. So in this case, they needed uh, seven deacons, right? This is where they first appointed the seven deacons. Stephen was one, Philip was one. Uh, Stephen got martyred in the next chapter, uh, and then Philip went on to be an evangelist. Uh, but here, uh, the apostle said, you go pick them out. Now, they didn't cast any lots. They, just, they, they were led by the Spirit of God to pick out these seven men. And, and you look at the qualifications. He said, uh, pick out uh, seven men, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who may appoint over this business. Uh, and so, Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. So, uh, they, they were led by the Spirit of God here. There was no lots cast on these seven de- deacons. They were led by the Spirit of God. And what we'll find then as we, as we get past Acts chapter 2 is that the Spirit of God leads them into His will supernaturally, right? They have an unction or knowledge of, about, um, about how to be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, and so I'm just going to read uh, one more verse here and then we may, we may finish up. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. So... First question that we've got to answer is, well, do we have a right? Can we know what the will of God is? Because people say all the time, well, you just never know what God's going to do, right? I mean, that's kind of a true statement because God can do whatever he wants to do within the constraints of his word and, and his, uh, uh, his plan. But um, what, what about when it comes to you, right? What about it when it comes to your life and what, what you need to be doing? Uh, can you know what the will of God is for your life? Can you know whether you should take a particular job or buy a house or buy that particular car or marry that particular person or, you know, whatever it is, whatever that you're trying to discern? Can you, can you do you have a right from a biblical perspective to know what the will of God is? And so that's why we're here in Colossians chapter one. It says in verse nine, it says, for this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled 
with the knowledge of his what? Of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So he said that he desires us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. So then that's a promise, right? If that's a promise, can we have that? Can we be filled with the knowledge of his will? So if you are filled with the knowledge of his will, then in what scenario would, you, would it be necessary to put out a fleece? If you're filled with the knowledge of his will, if you always know what the will of God is for your life, when would you need to cast a lot? I mean, if you really are living in the fullness of this verse, when would you ever need to resort to some natural means, right? Just roll the dice and see, you know, uh, oh, you got, a, you got snake eyes, so it's you, right? You're the one. Is that how we should do it? Um, and look, you know, if you're trying to decide who's going to pick where to go for dinner, you don't necessarily have to fast and pray, right? I mean, you know, if you want to cast a lot for dinner, you know, no big deal, right? But things that are important, uh, what should you desire? That you be filled with the knowledge of his will, right? So that, to me, this is the, uh, the first promise here, not the first promise, but a promise that uh, we can know the will of God. And, and this is really where the issue comes in the church is because if this verse is true, then if we're saying that I know the will of God because the light turned red, then am I filled with the knowledge of that will or is it just the light turned red? See, maybe, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't, uh, well, we won't use a light because then people will start saying, well, the pastor says run a red light, you know. But uh, people say, you know, if the door's locked, you know, God must not want me to go through. Is that, is that being filled with the knowledge of his will? That's being filled with, with the knowledge of, of uh, the Yale Lock Company, right? Um, well, what if the Lord wants you to go through the locked door? Remember with Jesus, when he actually went through a locked door, remember they were, they were hiding up there after for fear of the Jews? They were locked in the upper room, and Jesus just walked through, the, walked through the door, right? Came in. So if Jesus got there and said, door's locked, I guess I'm not supposed to go and start Pentecost here, right? I guess we'll do it another time. I mean, if he was like a lot of Christians, right? Door's locked, I guess we're not supposed to go through. But if the door's locked, does that, is that the discernment of the will of God, that the door's locked? No, is it got really anything to do with the will of God? No, because the Lord may say, kick the door down or walk through it or, you know, uh, speak to it and cause it to open. Uh, and well, what if the door's unlocked? Well, God must, must be want me to go through that door, right? Well, what if it's a trap on the other side of the door? Does the Lord want you just because the door's unlocked? Does the Lord want you to go through that? How would you know? I mean, do you see if you're filled with the knowledge of his will, then before you ever get to the door, you go locked or unlocked. I'm going through that door. Because before I get there, the Lord said, go through that door. So when you get there, the door's locked. Well, then, Lord, then we've got to do something about this locked door. See, the, the problem in the church is we're led by what we observe, right, in the natural realm. And when, we're, when we are led by what's observed in the natural realm, then we're subject to only this natural world. And the Lord really can't operate supernaturally in that. How many times have you heard, ever heard, well, if the door's locked, the Lord will open a window? Don't you love that one? I love that one, right? It just kind of makes you want to go, Bleh. but you know, it's still, it's like, oh, he's going to open a window. Well, we don't have any open windows here, right? I mean, all these windows are not, you can't open them, so you're stuck, right? So we're, if you're in this building, too bad for you. The Lord can never work out something. If the Lord, you know, he can't open up any one of these windows because they're not openable, right? Is that a word, openable? But, um, and so uh, they can't be opened, right? Uh, but don't you love that? See, what is that? That's called philosophy, Right. It's not got anything to do with the Bible. It's just philosophy. It's man's attempt to discern God's will in the natural world without any supernatural intervention. Uh, and so. But what does Paul say? That you can be filled with the knowledge of his will. 
So if you're filled with the knowledge of his will, then you know his will, right? It's not like, you know, well, we, gotta, we have to go discern his will. We have to go look at something in the natural world, a fleece or a lot, or if the door's locked or the door's open or the car was sold or the car was not sold or the job was there, the job wasn't there. You know, that's all natural world, right? That's all in the natural realm. And yet the Bible says that the New Testament Christian can just know who the seven people are to, to, to select as deacons. The, the Christian can know what the will of God is for their life, right? That you be filled with knowledge of his will. Is that what the word says? So I want to read a, a few different translations here uh, of that same verse there. It says, uh, for this reason, we on our part, since the day when we heard it, never ceased to pray for you that you may be filled with the awareness of his will and all spiritual wisdom and insight. One says that you could attain the full knowledge of his will. One says you could be filled with the perfect knowledge of his will, or the accurate knowledge of his will, or one translation is the real knowledge of his will. Um, and so, so where, where does that knowledge reside? If you're going to be filled with that, where does it reside? In your spirit, right? It resides in you, right? Be filled in you, right? In your spirit, man. You are a spirit being. It, that's, so it's going to be filled in your spirit. So, so here's the problem with that. If you're going to live that way, it requires the most amount of faith, right? Because can you see what's in your spirit? Can you measure what's in your spirit? So uh, the problem in the church today is anything that requires uh, a, a reasonable amount of faith, we tend to shy away from that. We don't really like that. We prefer the doors locked. That's easy, right? I can touch it. I can kick it. I can, I can count it and measure it. That's easy. All in the natural realm with my five senses, I can determine the will of God. But that is a terrible way to determine the will of God. Because number one, the Bible never promises that we can determine the will of God by any natural means, right? Because uh, even our friend Gideon, it was a supernatural event. I put out a fleece. I had one person say, I put out a fleece and God told me to come to your church. And they didn't stay long, you know. It's like, well, what happened to the fleece? Did somebody eat it? I mean, you know, I don't know, you know. But uh, uh, again, you know, they said that. And of course, I didn't say anything. You know, I did think, well, that's dumb. You know, don't, don't put out a fleece to determine if you're supposed to be here or not. You should know, right? Now, when do you know? Well, you know when you know, right? Um, in fact, um, well, we'll, we'll we gotta, uh, we got to look back uh, at our friend Abraham, but we're running out of time today. So uh, the word filled there means to be in fact, we looked at this word in another context on Wednesday nights, but it means to be crammed, uh, filled to the fullest. So, uh, in other words, it's not, well, I, I don't really know. It's, oh, yeah, I know. I'm crammed full of the will of God. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Amen. Uh, now, now, that is, that's the foundation of how we know we can know the will of God, right? Whether or not we can know the will of God. Uh, and so, don't, don't ever buy into the thing where you can never know the will of God because that's, that's not what the word says. The word says you can be filled. So if you're filled, then there's no question about it, right? You know absolutely the will of God. Uh, and so we need to find out, uh, look through some more scriptures and find out, well, how do, we, how do we get there, right? Because a lot of Christians aren't there. Most Christians are, if the door's locked, then, 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 then that's how I know. Uh, if the car's gone off the lot, then God, God must not want me to have the car. There was probably something wrong with it. Is that true? I mean, it's 50-50 if it's true. It might be true. It might not be true. It has nothing to do with nothing, though, right? Uh, uh, and, um, you know, I had someone come in and pray uh, about a job. I really want this job, you know. Okay, great. Let's pray. And then later on, hey, did you get the job? No, I didn't get the job, so God must not want me to have it. Uh, but see, here's the problem is 
uh, before you pray to get the job, you need to be filled with the knowledge of whether you should have that job to begin with or not. That's, that's where most Christians fail is not even in their prayer. See, uh, we pray, uh, John, 1 John says that we know, in fact, uh, I know we're about out of time, let's turn over 1 John. See, the, the issue with, with, uh, uh, with a lot of prayers is they're not biblical prayers, right? And so if they're not biblical prayers, then they're not qualified to be actual prayers, right? I know it's kind of a, maybe an obvious statement there, but uh, so he says here in 1 John uh, 5.14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his what? His will, he heareth us. So before we ask, what, what should we know? What his will is, because we can't ask according to his will unless we know what his will is. So, see, that's kind of a, a great situation because he'll fill you with the knowledge of his will. Then you ask him for that thing. goes, well, yeah, you can have it because I just told you you can have it, right? But you still have to ask. Don't you have to ask? Still got to ask. But see, if you don't know his will prior to asking and it wasn't his will for you to get the job to begin with, then now you're not asking according to his will. And he says that this is the confidence we have that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? Hears us. So it implies that if you're not asking according to his will, what? He never heard you to begin with. So the problem many times is in many prayers. The issue is not that God said no. The issue is that it was never the will of God to begin with. He never heard the prayer because it wasn't asked according to his will because you were never filled with the knowledge of his will prior to you asking. Now, uh, I know it sounds complicated. It's really not that complicated. Before you ask, get filled with the knowledge of his will. And once you know his will, then asking is not an issue because then you can have confidence. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get that. Well, how do you know? Because he told me I could have that, you know. Now, you ever seen anybody abuse that? Absolutely. A hundred thousand times, right? I mean, uh, God told me, you know, he wants to give me a million dollars. Really? What are you going to do with it? I don't know. Well, do you need it? Well, I don't know. Well, why, you know, I mean, you know, people say things all the time, right? Well, God showed me that, you know, that you're supposed to marry me. Really? You know, I'm already married, right? <laughs> you know, it might be a little complicated. Uh, we know we don't go into that kind of marriage around here. Uh, and so, uh, so, uh, what are you going to do about the will of God, right? Uh, so that, that's kind of the issue. So that's, that's kind of the groundwork. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know how long we'll spend on this message, but it, to me it's really important because I, I hear so often that people are led by what they can observe. Oh, a car just went by. Oh, then we should follow that car because that car is probably going to a good place to eat lunch. And if the pastor will quit uh, talking, we can go follow that car, right? Uh, and... Um, uh, he talked for another minute. I guess it wasn't God's will for us to follow that guy to lunch, right? So now we've got to wait for somebody else. Uh, and so, uh, but I want to, my, my goal is to live according to the word. My goal is if the word promises it, then that's the way I want to live. I don't like living by just, well, you just got to figure it out, you know, just hope for the best and see how it turns out, you know. A person of faith determines their entire life. Uh, all major events in their life, they'll know uh, because he said we can be filled with the knowledge of his will. Uh, and, and, uh, and I can't tell you how many times I have prayed that prayer. Lord, you said you'd fill me with the knowledge of your will. So I'm asking you, but long before I ask him to do something, I ask him, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Let me know beyond a shadow of a doubt exactly what I'm supposed to do. Not by circumstance, not by fleeces and lots and cars and locked doors and open windows. In my spirit, man, I'm going to be filled, crammed full in my spirit, man, with the knowledge of your will. So when I step out, I know that's the will of God. And I don't have to have any fear about what I'm going to do. Now, that would be a great way to live, right? And that's the way the Bible promises that we can live. Amen. Never a single lot happened after Acts chapter 1. Never, ne there were never a chance. They never rolled any dice, cast a lot, 
put out a fleece or anything from Acts chapter 2 forward, uh, it was all by the direction of the Spirit of God being filled with the knowledge of His will. And so we'll look at some examples of that. And there's even some Old Testament examples we'll look at that will help us. So let's pray and thank the Lord for His Word today. So Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And Father, we thank You that Your Word declares that we can be filled with the knowledge of Your will. We give you the praise and the honor for that, Father, thanking that if, you, if we can be, then we shall be, Father, if we ask you. And so, Lord, as we go forward in our lives, we will be filled with the knowledge of your will in every uh, major instance that's important in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? Well, let's get ready to receive this uh, morning's tithes and offerings and... and um, you know, I, I know with anything that you can take some things to an extreme. And I don't know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I woke up. God told me to use the striped toothpaste, you know, and told me to wear which color tie. And I mean, could the Lord do that? You know, he probably could. But is that really? I mean, you know, you do have a brain, right? You can't decide if you want to have bacon and eggs for breakfast or cereal, right? I mean, is the Lord going to direct you? Thou shalt eat bacon today. I mean, it just seems like he doesn't really care about that. You know, it's kind of in the natural realm. You eat bacon if you want to eat bacon, right? And so uh, come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. And, uh, you know, I, I hear, it, it, to me, it's, it's a little sad because I hear people say that God directed them which color toothpaste to use, but then they'll marry the wrong person or just, you know, buy a horrible car. Or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they'll, they'll, the, the Lord will supernaturally lead them in something of, of so little consequence, but then doesn't lead them in something that's life-changing, right? And, and so is there a disconnect there? Did the Lord not lead them? Did they not ask? I don't know, you know. And I'm not here to judge or pick, up on, pick on anybody, but, um, um, and hopefully we haven't stepped on too many toes uh, today, uh, but this is an area that, I mean, I can't tell you how many times. I mean, it's just, it's just a constant, you know, uh, all the time. And I could give you stories after stories of people who say things, that don't line up with the word of God. Amen. And so my, my goal is to let's lay a foundational uh, a foundation of what the scripture says. Amen. And go go that direction. And so well, be blessed. Uh, uh, we'll we'll still have church on, on Wednesday night. We're not going to be here, but um, we'll still have church Wednesday night. We'll be back on, um, of course, today at three o'clock for healing school. But then here next Sunday morning. Amen. Y'all be blessed and, and you're dismissed.